Yes, everything lives where the river runs. Mm. Praise Jesus. If you have your Bible and you want to turn to the 23rd Psalm, you're welcome to. Otherwise, it'll be projected for us here this morning. We want to read it together and then we'll open with a word of prayer. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, meet us here. (laughs) Yes, Lord, meet us here. Father, this morning we come before you, and we came for that purpose, to meet you, to come a little closer today, to plunge a little deeper into the river of your spirit. Father, today in the name of Jesus, I pray that your spirit, your Holy Spirit would be evident among us. I pray, Lord God, now in the name of Jesus that we would feel a fresh and mighty move of your presence today. Lord, right now, right now, I pray, Lord, that you would open the ears and the hearts of your children to receive the message that you laid on my heart for them. And Father, at the same time, I pray that you would reach down, touch my lips with a refining coal, that I would speak only the words that you give me and none of my own. Father, come and be among us today, that this time would bring you honor and glory and build up your people, that the church would stand and sing your praise, that the church would stand and be a lighthouse to those in darkness, that the church would stand, Lord God, for you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we welcome, we welcome your spirit in this house this morning. We welcome you. Be with us, Lord, in the name of Jesus, all God's children said, amen. This morning we continue our series of We Believe as we go through our doctrinal statement, kind of taking what we know we believe and putting it to practice. Um, I made the cute remark last week that we struggle to go in order of our What We Believe pamphlet, and we will continue to struggle to go in order. Uh, So (laughs) last week we covered uh, distinctions of Christian living. If you're looking at one of the We Believe handouts, uh, we're going to continue here on the back page. Today, that last part of what we believe is response and eternal destiny. I've deemed this impossible to be one message, so I'm going to focus on response, hence today's title, RSVP. I want to read to you directly from our statement, 
just the response half. We believe that God desires everyone everywhere to believe the gospel by turning to him in repentance and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. So today we're going to look first at what are there here? Seven invitations that Jesus extends to us. And then we're going to go deep. Everybody good with that? All right. So I want to point out to you seven invitations. These are probably all invitations that you've probably come across before. Um, but I think that they're important to get a grip on. So I use this verbiage. You're cordially invited to do these seven things. You're cordially invited to come and rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come unto me, all you who are weary, burdened, and I will give you rest. That's an invitation. Come to me. When you're burdened, when you're heavy, when you're tired, when you're worn, all those things that happen to us as a result of daily life, right? So in the morning on rising, bless his name, say thank you, Lord, for giving me breath, giving me life, putting me in this day. And then at night, when you're wiped, come unto me and I will give you rest. You're cordially invited to come and take your inheritance. Now, this one is a little bit of a futuristic invitation, but there's a part that's for today also. Matthew 25, 34. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Okay, this is um, Matthew 24, 25. Gets into a little bit of end times prophecy, gets into a little bit of um, walking into the kingdom. But this is also for today because this points to us, this, this points out to us what's waiting. This is a hope passage. This tells us that when we die as believers, our final resting place ultimately is not the grave, but that our final resting place is in heaven, right? In, in the flesh, the final resting place is the grave. But there's more. <laughs> Ain't no grave going to hold this guy down. So come and take your inheritance. That's the invitation. How about this one? I love this one. You're cordially invited to come aside. Come aside. Mark 6.31. Then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Hmm. He wants to give us rest again. How about that? So he must know, right, that we're a little bit weary. But he says, come, come aside. There's a lot of hustle and bustle going on around you. Why don't you just step over here for a minute and just... <laughs> just be, right? Just be. You're cordially invited to come and follow. 
If you're a Chosen fan, my favorite words in the Chosen is every time Jesus looks at somebody and says, follow me. Woo! I mean, it makes me want to dance every time. Yes! Follow him. Yes! Come and follow. Mark 10, 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. I chose this verse because there can be some confusion, sometimes a little bit of contention, and I want to clear it up. Jesus is not asking you to take a vow of poverty. I want to make sure that that is perfectly clear. The point of this is that there's more. There's more in him than could ever be on earth. You could be the absolute most wealthy person on the face of this planet. And let me tell you, folks, if you don't have Christ, you got nothing. You could have all the money in all the banks, and if you, got Christ, if you don't have Christ, you got nothing. You could have every high-end car. You could have all the high-end appliances. You could have a house the size of Texas. But if you don't got Christ, you got nothing. You got nothing. So he's, he's saying, lay it down. Lay it all down. None of this matters. Guess what, folks? It's all temporary, right? 100% of it, temporary. This suit, temporary. This platform, temporary. This music stand, temporary. Kingdom of heaven, eternal. Eternal. Jesus Christ, eternal. Relationship with a loving, caring, beautiful Lord and Savior, eternal. Everything else temporary. So come and follow. You will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow. You're cordially invited to come and see. Hmm. John 1.39, come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. You've got to read the whole story for the about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and I don't have that because it'll take too long, and I don't want to hold you for an hour like I did last week. <laughs> come and see. Does the Spirit of God move? Does the Spirit of God move? Can you see it when he moves? Yes. Come and see what God has done. You know, I use that, uh, that illustration a lot of times that when people look at you and you're just overflowing with the goodness of God, people look at you and say, what's different? I want what you got. <laughs> Come and see. Come and see what God has done. Come and see. Come and drink. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. What is special about a drink that Jesus could offer? You'll thirst no more. Hmm. And, and you know, when Jesus offers you a drink, 
He's not talking a bottle of water. Why? A bottle of water is temporary. But the eternal river of God that he bids you come and drink from. Ho, oh, eternal. Come and drink, and guess what? You will thirst no more. You'll want more, but you will thirst no more. You'll want more. Have you ever been really dry? And it's like, you take that first sip of water, and then you just chug the whole bottle. Multiply that by probably a thousand. And that's drinking from that river. You come and you're dry, and Jesus says, take a drink. And you just can't get enough. It's not that you're thirsty anymore. It's that it's so good that you need more and more and more. You are cordially invited to come and eat. Tons of scriptures that I could have used this. John 21, 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples asked, dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. But Jesus invites us multiple times in scripture to come and eat. This is one. Of course, anytime that you read about Passover, he's inviting all of us. In fact, we were just invited to come and eat this morning, weren't we? He said, come to the table, kids. And here's the beautiful thing. is This is another one that is for now and later. Because on the great and glorious day when Christ returns, I'm going to give away the rest of the message. Man, (laughs) jumping the gun. But you know what? It's all right. We know what's coming, don't we? Anybody that knows me too well knows that I'm a classic country fan which means I like Johnny Cash songs. And Johnny Cash sings a song that says, come home, come home, it's supper time. And he talks about how he knows that one of these days the Lord's going to call and it'll be the greatest supper time of them all. And he'll say, come on home, kids, it's supper time. Oh, doesn't it just excite you a lot? Come on home, kids. It's supper time. I'm waiting for it. So he bids us come and eat. So the title of the message is RSVP. RSVP is, what do they call that, an acronym. But here's the funny thing. It's not actually an English acronym. It's a French acronym. Mm-hmm. Respond, s'il vous plaît. Please. Please reply. We have a lot of things in life that we have to respond to. Uh, I remember all of our wedding showers, our wedding um, baby showers. Some, some invitations go out and they're regrets only, right? Whereas others, you need a response of are you actually coming and what would you like to eat? A lot of different things that we respond to. Uh, on the next section of your notes page, you'll see that there's not really any prompts. Reason being, I want to give you space to take your own notes there. And I know that it's not a lot of space 
write small. Uh, <laughs> but there's a lot of things that we have to respond to, but none near as important as the response that we're going to talk about today. With that, there's a few things we should talk about before the party. Okay? So I want to take you to Matthew 25, and we're going to read the parable of ten virgins. Marin, would you be able to click through these since I'm going to read out my Bible? Thank you. Matthew 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took out their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. And the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way out to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. It's supper time. And the door was shut. Later, the, all, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. Scariest words in scripture. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day nor the hour. Keep watch. So before the party, a couple things we should learn from this passage. Be on guard. Stay alert. Be ready. Something great is coming. But there's something required of you. Preparedness. Okay? Um, I happen to really like oil lamps. I just think they're neat. Uh, obviously, in today's world, there's not a huge need for them. But I've got several throughout my house. And when we lose power... I tend not to go for the battery-operated lantern, but I use the oil lamps. They're cozy, they're soft, they produce heat. And if you know me, you know I'm always cold, so I'm looking for heat. But I, I go to this oil lamp, and it's, it's real neat. How many of you have experience with oil lamps? All right, just checking. So you all know what happens when there's really not enough oil in that basin, right? The flame starts out nice and strong, and slowly, really, really slowly, shades down and down and down. And, and you know, sometimes if the lighting in the room is just right, you almost don't even notice that it's going out. 
because it's so gradual. But if you're paying close attention, then you know I need to get my oil before my lamp goes out. That way I don't have to strike another match. Be ready. This passage, I could go on about this passage for hours. Because there's so much to it. But, but the, the takeaway that I want you to really hold fast to is the part that goes, be ready. All right? Jesus has already sent out the invitations. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that toward the end of this message. The invitation's already been put out. So you have the invitation. We'll say it's hanging on your fridge. And the RSVP date is any day. Be ready. We've got to be ready for the party. What if the party's at your house? <laughs> You're going to be ready, right? Be ready always. That's what I want you to take away from that. Stay in the book of Matthew. Go back to chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. Jesus is being questioned about fasting. And we're not going to look particularly at the fasting part of this. But it reads, Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. How many people in here sew? Handful of you yet? So you know the importance of that if you're, if you're one that sits down and sews. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. This is where our focus is going to be. Neither do people pour new wine into old wine skins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wine skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Okay, last week, I'll give you a, a, a glimpse into the pastor's mind. Last week, as we were finishing our service, I heard the Lord say, new wineskins. I'm like, oh, wow, that was easy. I, didn't, I don't usually have a message come to me quite that quick. Well, it turns out that wasn't the whole message. It was part to the whole. So the more I sit and talk with the Lord, he leads me to this passage. And I'm like, all right, you know, how am I going to create a message that's functional for everyone, I guess? And then he unveils my eyes and says, hmm, this isn't going to be the whole message. This is going to be part of the message. I said, okay, and now I got it. If you're, I, let me start with this. I like the way that this is worded. There are some translations that use the term bottles, but wineskin is really more accurate, okay? Uh, because you have to consider that when Jesus was teaching in, in ancient times, they weren't 
putting anything in a glass bottle like you and I know it. Okay? It might have gone into a clay jar, but the ancient rituals for winemaking were wineskins. They were made of leather. Okay? And part of the process was once they would pour the new wine into the wineskins, they would go and they would sink them in the cold part of the river so they wouldn't spoil. That's how they kept. Okay? Uh, if you know much about leather, it's uh, not something you want to get wet and then dry out and then wet and then dry out because why? It'll crack, right? So if we have an old wineskin that we've already poured something in and now we've dried it out, it's really no good anymore. It's, it's not something that we want to pour fresh wine into because of the fermentation process that's going to cause an expansion in that wine skin and make it go kerblooey. Kerblooey. <laughs> It'll pop. All right? So you have to kind of take the imagery that's being used here and then extract the spiritual side of it and apply it to life. God, I want to be full of you. I don't know about y'all. When I, when I want to be full of God, there's sometimes some trials that happen. Um, sometimes there's persecution that comes along. It can be really uncomfortable sometimes. I'm talking about really uncomfortable. Pressing. Pressing. I'm, I'm kind of like a cluster of grapes in a press. And when I say, God, I want to be more full of your spirit, God says, all right, son, I'll make you full of new wine. And I'm going to have new wine flow out of you. Go change your wineskin. Why? Because the old man has passed away. And a new man lives in Christ. Amen? amen. You can say that louder. Amen? amen? The old man is gone. Get rid of that old wineskin. It's not going to benefit you anymore. Because when he pours new wine into you, if he pours it in to that old, wore-out wineskin, it's going to pop and be wasted. Key words in this passage are the closing statements. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Both are preserved. The wineskin stays good, and so does the wine. Jesus, fill me, right? So I, I, I take the time and I'm looking over this passage and I'm saying, okay, God, where do you want to go with this? How, how do we want to, how do we want to address new wineskins? How do we want to address being full of you? He says, be changed and be ready for something new. How many of you came to church empty this morning? 
become empty? Who remembers last week why we come before God empty? To be filled. Yes. So let me tell you about an emptying week. I, I learned about emptiness this week. Um, it, it was a trying week. Uh, our family has dealt with a lot of loss in the last year and a half. Uh, and, and yesterday we laid another one of my mom's brothers to rest. And let me tell you, folks, I just, I met the Lord this week with emptiness every day. Talk about practice what you preach. It's the truth. Because, you know, I, I, uh, I always thought, I guess, that I did a good enough job emptying myself to be filled again. But then trouble comes. Trial comes. Upset comes. And you learn what it is to be empty. And then you sit and you soak in the presence and in the power of God. And you learn what it is to be filled. Amen. You learn what it is to be filled. So he's saying to us, you got to be a new wineskin. I want to pour new wine into you, but something's got to change. You have to be ready for something new. My question to you this morning is, are you ready to make a change? Are you ready to make a change? In part of, of the importance of talking about what we believe is what I'm going to call the paradigm shift. As Christians, we tend to focus a lot on our theology, right? How many of you want to have a strong theology? Okay. How many of you want to have a stronger relationship with God? That's what I'm after, folks. Yes, theology is important. Hear me say that. Theology is important. It has its place. But the relationship is where our focus lays. So on the back side of your handout, I have religion versus relationship. And we're just going to draw kind of a comparison chart this morning. But I want, I, I want to first talk about the importance of the relationship. Okay. Brittany and I have been, um, we're high school sweethearts for those of you that don't know. So we've been together this year for 13 years. Wasn't particularly an RSVP, but a couple times throughout the course of our relationship, I required a response of her. On October 30th, 2010, I said, Brittany, will you be my girlfriend? It was yes or no. I could go back to classic country. Do you love me? <laughs> Get a little George Strait in there. But I required a response, yes or no. And Brittany said, yes, I'll be your girlfriend. And things went well. And then on June 20th, 2015, I said, Brittany, will you marry me? 
I required a response. And she said, yes, I'll marry you. And then on October 14th, 2017, we were both questioned. Do you promise to love, honor, and cherish this person as your spouse? And a response was required of both of us. And we both said, yes, I do. I promise. It's the same with our Lord and Savior. He sent out an invitation. An invitation that looked like a cross. And he said, will you love me? And it's up to us to answer yes or no. And we have to make that decision every single day. Will you love me in the good times? Will you love me in the bad? Will you love me when you're sick? Will you love me when you're healthy? I want you to really hone in on the relationship side of this. Okay, so religion versus relationship. Here we go. Here's what religion's going to tell me. Religion tells me that God is really hard on me. If I read the Bible religiously, I'm going to pretty easily find that God has some wrath. It's always just, I will say that. God is always just. But we see in scripture that God can get angry. And religion tells me that God's always beating me up. You sinned again, you sinned again, you sinned again. Think about the Pharisees and all of the things that they put the Jewish people through. You're doing wrong, you're doing wrong, you're doing wrong. The Pharisees were the religious people, right? Always looking at how God's beating you down. Religion tells me that I should measure myself against myself and against others. Could have done better. Could have done better. Don't you understand how this person would go about that? Don't you understand how they would do that? You could do it better. You could do it more like them. Religion teaches me that I should stand on knowledge. Theology. Religion teaches me that repentance is a grievous thing. And y'all know me. Y'all know I got to rock the boat, right? I'm not me if I'm not rocking the boat. Hang with me. Don't, don't leave me over this one. I'll explain it as we go through relationship. Religion teaches me I have to live out of the Bible. Hang tight. That one's a trick. What's relationship tell me, though? And here's where we're going to get into some specific scripture references. Religion says God's always beating me down. Relationship's going to offer me loving kindness. Okay? Psalm 5-7 says this. 
but I, by your great love, can come into your house in reverence and bow down toward your holy temple. If you look back at chapter 5, verse 1, he says this, Listen to my words, Lord, consider my lament. He's sorrowful. He's grieving, but finds the love of God. And let me tell you, in in the moments of sorrow when you're grieving, it's easy to say, oh, yep, God's beating on me. God's being hard on me. But here's where you see there's an offering of loving kindness. By your great love, that's the power that I have to come into your house in reverence and bow down. Measure yourself against others. Relationship tells me it takes every person. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about needing all the parts of the body, right? Can the eye say, I'm not needed and just stop being an eye? No. Here's, this morning when I got up, I was thinking about this passage specifically. And I was thinking back to the time that I broke my hand. Okay? When I broke my hand, I broke my hand kind of severely. Had to have surgery on it to repair it. And so I was casted um, with my ring and pinky finger like this for 12 weeks. Okay? And my index and middle finger were wrapped almost all the way up. There was very little use of any of this hand because of the severity of the break. But I'm right hand dominant. Even though this hand was broken, I still needed it. I didn't stop needing my broken hand. For a while, you know, like three months, I had to learn how to maneuver with a big wonky cast on to use it, and it didn't function quite properly. It needed a little bit of assistance. You see where I'm going with this? If you're broken, it doesn't mean you're not needed. When you're broken and you have this relationship, religion's going to say, hey, right hand. Left hand's getting better at writing than you. False. I just need some time to repair. I just got to rest. I need some help from my friend. But I still need it. The doctor looked at me and he said, you might not regain your range of motion. And I said, I'm a pianist, I better. (laughs) He said, oh. (laughs) It takes every person. I did, by the way, regain my entire range of motion. It takes every person. So be encouraged this morning. If you're sitting out here in these chairs and you're broken, you're still needed in the body of believers. If you're sitting in these chairs and you're defeated, you're still needed in the body of believers. If you're sitting in the chairs and saying, I can't do what I know I need to do, honey, you're just in a cast. The cast will come off. You are still needed in the body of believers. Amen? Amen. He said, I need all of you. Religion says to stand on knowledge, stand in theology. Relationship relationship 
tells me to walk in wisdom and divine encounter. Proverbs 3, 5, one of my absolute favorite verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Words of wisdom. Absolute words of wisdom. Don't lean on your own understanding, but walk in wisdom. Trust in the Lord. Seek him for wisdom. The book of James, chapter 5, verses 14 to 17, says this, Is any among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church and pray over them. Anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Remember last week we talked about speaking to the mountains? Oh, move! Gone. Why? Because of the name, because of the blood, because of the power and authority of Jesus Christ that resides in us. Speak to the mountain, it will crumble. Walk in wisdom and divine encounter. When you come before the Lord seeking something, that's what I like about this passage here in James, is it talks not only about being wise. If you're sick, don't sit there and be sick. Come, be prayed for, be anointed. Let prayers be offered in faith and let the faith make you well by the hand of God. That offers some wisdom, but it also offers the divine encounter Why? Because when you come forward in faith, expecting to meet Jesus here, who are you going to meet up here? Say it louder. Yes, you're going to meet Jesus here when you come expecting. Now, if you come and you're not expecting to meet him, if you come and you're just expecting to meet me here, you're probably just going to meet me here. But if you come in here and you're expecting to meet Jesus... Jesus is also expecting to meet you. Jesus is also expecting to meet you. He sees your needs. He knows your heart, but he wants you to expect to meet him. Be expecting. Walk in wisdom and divine encounter, not just theology. Repentance is a grievous thing is what religion taught me, but relationship taught me that the restoration of our unity should be celebrated. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, says, How much more is heaven going to rejoice over one sinner who repented than over a righteous man who found no need? One sinner who repented, and let me tell you folks, all heaven goes wild. All heaven goes wild. That's good news, isn't it? Here's the big one. Religion tells me live out of the Bible. I left one key word off intentionally, just to scare you. Religion tells me live out of the Bible alone. Here's what I'm telling you. Relationship says live freely out of the Holy Spirit. You can, I love that giggle, yes. <laughs> Amen, sister. 
That's what I call a glory giggle. That's when the power hits you and you just can't help it. Yes, live freely out of the Holy Spirit. Where are you going to find him? Let me tell you what. This, this is a firm foundation. Really firm foundation upon which to build. So, Theology 101, right here, 66 books of really strong theology that testifies to divine encounter, that testifies to the goodness of God, that testifies of so many things. This is good, solid framework. And then you take the next step. So, note that live freely out of the Spirit does not have a single scripture reference. That's because I could not fit them all on the screen. So, quickly, Romans 8.14 tells you to be led of the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 tells you to be filled with the Spirit. Romans 8.3 tells you to walk in the Spirit. Romans 8.5 tells you to live in the Spirit. John 4.23 tells you to worship in spirit and in truth. Ephesians 6.18 tells you to pray always in the Spirit. And hallelujah, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Y'all, I'm getting excited. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says these words, Do not... Quench the Spirit. Oh, I wish those words were in bold. They are. That's right. Do not quench the Spirit. Invite Him. Respond to Him. I think my mic died. Nope, there I am. So the invitations are out. Will you RSVP? I want to ask you this morning if you need to send in your initial RSVP card. I'll stand here. We can't just assume that everybody sitting in the church house is saved. That's a very poor assumption. We can't just assume, now I, I'll, different teaching, but I'll, I'll say this. I do not believe in eternal security. I do not believe once saved, always saved. I believe that you have the power to forfeit your salvation. I believe that grieves the Holy Spirit when you would do that. But I do believe that you have the right, unfortunately, to reject God, even after you've been saved. Very hurtful thing. And, and, and so that's why we don't draw the assumption. Because I only know about my walk with God. I don't know about any of yours. I only know what you share with me. 
And so this morning, I want to invite you, if you need to turn in your first RSVP card and say, yes, today I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ for the very first time. If, if that's you, I want, I want you to think about it for a minute. And I also want the rest of you to be thinking about this. Maybe I've been off track for a while. Maybe I'm not where I should be. Maybe I sent my RSVP card in 20 years ago and it lost its luster. Maybe I need to um, give God a call and just let him know I'm still planning on it. I'm still planning on being there. I want you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. Every head bowed and every eye closed across the sanctuary this morning. Because this is a personal thing. And, and, and know this, that when I ask these questions, I'm not asking to judge you. I'm not going to single you out after service. I'm not going to do any of that. But what I am going to do is I'm going to commit to pray for you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed across the sanctuary, if you want to just take that moment and say, for the very first time, Lord Jesus, I won't give you my heart. Just stick your hand up. I see that hand. God bless you, sister. I see that hand. God bless you, sister. I see that hand and I see that hand. And if you're ready to rededicate, stick your hand up high. I see that hand and 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 that hand. God bless you. Folks, all of heaven's rejoicing this morning. And so here's, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you this. If you're ready to make that wineskin new, if you're ready to receive a fresh outpouring of the Spirit, if you're ready to walk in everything He has for you and more, stick those hands up. I want to pray for you. And I see all of those hands. And Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, release your power through this building, Lord God. Release your overshadowing glory upon the children that stand before you this morning to say, I want more. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, impart to them every gift that they're waiting on. Impart to them wisdom. Impart to them peace. Impart to them, Lord, a heavy, heavy outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Let it rain, Lord Jesus over all of this house today. Let your fire fall 
on the children that stand before you, waiting in expectation. Meet them here because they've come expecting to meet you. Father, reassure us in trying times. I know that you do. I know firsthand that you do. Lift us up, Lord, when we fall. Again, Lord, I know you do. And Father, when we find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death, remind us, whisper, Lord, into our ears, fear no evil, child. I am with you. Thank you, Lord God, for this time this morning that we've had to come and worship you bring you praise and hear your word. Father, in every one of our hearts, instill a new passion in us for our relationship with you. That we would burn with passion. It's like your disciples said, were we not burning when we heard him speak? Let us burn, Lord, when you speak. Let us burn. We give you praise, honor, and all glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. I invite the worship team to come forward as we prepare to close our service this morning. And if you want to come down for personal prayer, I'll be happy to meet you here along with uh, whatever elders we have. Just come and be met with the Spirit of God this morning.